Welcome to the Development Locker Podcast, the podcast designed specifically for aspiring academy football players and their development. I'm your host, Lee Wood, and I'm thrilled to have you join us on this exciting journey. Whether you're a young talent dreaming of making it to the top, a dedicated coach looking for expert insights, or a parent seeking information into how to guide your son along their journey, this podcast is your ultimate resource for everything related to academy football. Each episode will bring you exclusive interviews with renowned coaches former academy players who have successfully made the transition to professional football and industry experts who will share their invaluable knowledge and tips to help you excel on and off the pitch. Over the next 48 episodes, we'll be diving deep into the mental and physical conditioning, the various aspects of player development, nutrition, injury prevention, and maintaining a balanced lifestyle to ensure you reach your full potential. We'll also discuss what to do when your dreams come to an end, whenever that may be, along the journey with insight from those who have gone through this part of the journey and come out the other side a better person. Also, we'll be joined by those who support people like you when and not if that day comes when football isn't the only dream you want to pursue. But it's not just about the technicalities of the game. We'll also explore the mindset and mentality required to thrive in a competitive world of academy football. We'll discuss the importance of resilience, self-belief and effective goal setting to help you overcome challenges and achieve your dreams. So, whether you're looking for guidance on improving your technical abilities, seeking advice on navigating the trials and tribulations of the academy system, or simply want to stay motivated and inspired, we're here to support you every step of the way. Get ready to learn, grow, and be inspired by the stories of those who have walked the same path you're on right now. Together, we'll unlock the secrets to success and help you gain that crucial edge in your academy journey, as well as prepare you for that alternative pathway. So grab your boots, put on your headphones and get ready to take your game to the next level. This is your podcast and I'm thrilled to have you join us as we bring you your interview from the locker. Stay tuned for our weekly episodes, which will bring you every Monday morning and we look forward to you joining us then. Welcome to the Development Locker Podcast, the show that takes you on a journey of self-discovery, personal growth and development. In today's episode, we are talking about all things wisdom and wellness in a world brimming with hustle and chaos. Yes, academy life. We're delving deep into the soothing realm of mindfulness and uncovering strategies to navigate the stresses of everyday life and finding the delicate balance of managing our expectations. We all live in a fast-paced world where demands and distractions seem to be never-ending, but fear not. 
because this episode is your guide to rediscovering the serenity within yourself. We're unraveling the art of mindfulness, a practice that can anchor us amidst the storm and bring clarity to our thoughts. Join us as we explore mindfulness techniques that can help you find presence in each moment, cultivate gratitude and let go of the anxieties that tend to accumulate in our busy lives. From meditation to mindful breathing, we'll provide practical insights that can be easily integrated into our daily routine. In the midst of our quest for balance, we'll also address the common struggles of managing expectations, whether it's societal pressures, personal ambitions, or constant comparisons to curated lives on social media. We'll unravel the detrimental effects of unrealistic expectations and unveil strategies to navigate them with grace and resilience. Our guest, Amy Polly, has embarked on her own journey of mindfulness and will share her experiences and advice along the way. We'll delve into her story of triumph over stress, anxiety and overwhelm and uncover how these practices has transformed her life. Moreover, we'll discuss the profound impact of mindfulness and realistic expectations on our own mental well-being, relationships and overall satisfaction in life. The lessons we'll uncover today might just be the key to finding harmony in the midst of life's chaos. So, get ready to embark on a transformational voyage into the world of mindfulness, stress management and expectation navigation. Together, we'll discover the path to inner tranquility and learn to embrace life's ebbs and flows with open hearts and peaceful minds. Before we begin, don't forget to hit the follow button so you never miss an episode that could change your life for the better. And if you find value in our discussion today, share this episode with teammates, friends and family because self-awareness and self-development are gifts meant to be shared. Without further ado, let's embark on a quest to find calm in chaos, serenity in stress, and balance in a world that often feels overwhelming. In this week's interview from The Locker. Welcome one and all to another episode of the podcast and we are very fortunate, I know I've said that before, but this person is interrupting their holiday time to give back to you, so very, very fortunate, so thank you Amy. And on the podcast we always start off with the why and the question I want to put to you is you're very passionate about mindfulness and why is mindfulness so important to you and how important should we all be taking this? In our lives yeah thank you for your kind words i am in a very sunny gibraltar right now so i'll send some sunshine <laughs> everybody's way um so mindfulness it's, it is so important to me because it has helped me so much but let me just take you back to what i always say is like my origin story basically i was going through a period of stress in an old job an old relationship and it was affecting my sleep and sleep is one of the biggest things for me and we know that sleep is really important for our mental health and I was really struggling with that feeling of stress not being able to sleep properly and as you do you go on a certain certain (laughs) search engine uh, in the middle of the night and decide to find out how can I sleep better Um, and what popped up was mindfulness and meditation and so I started to read 
I had a look on YouTube and I tried a mindful meditation before I went to bed the next night. And within two or three nights, I felt like I was falling asleep a bit easier. And then within a week, I felt like my sleep quality was better. And at that point, I thought, I need to know everything about this. This is amazing. So I bought the book. Uh, I uh, started listening to more videos about it. I signed up to two courses. Um, I was an accountant wow. at the time. Uh, but I decided to learn more because I just felt like there is something in this. How do we not know this already? Why don't I know this already? So I started to learn. And as I said, it's helped me through so many different things. Um, I think some of the bigger life experiences would be um, going through miscarriage and having postnatal anxiety after my baby, uh, you know, dealing with losing loved ones and things like that. But also just the day to day stressors of life. Um, it's helped me have a different perspective with things. Um, and this journey that I've been on from moving from an accountancy, uh, you know, basically career for 19 years, now talking about mental health, well-being and mindfulness. I just really believe that mindfulness is one of the best tools when it comes to proactive preventative care for our mental health. Anybody can do it. We just have to find what works for us. And I actually think that everybody should have some sort of mindfulness practice. I think it's amazing. <laughs> well, you, you've got me sold anyway, in terms of <laughs> um, my wife's not going to like the fact that you've, uh, you know, you're encouraging me to buy a book and book on two courses to make sure that I get. No, I'm joking. I always, <laughs> similar to yourself, if there's anything, do a bit of research, buy a book and my cupboard's now full of them. So I'll try not to buy a book on mindfulness, but uh, I can't make any promises. You, you mentioned there about, kind of struggle sleeping and you know that that link with your mindfulness and that's what kind of made you curious how do how do we as a society begin to think about achieving mindfulness in in what can be a very challenging world full of technology constantly being switched on um i know we're doing this via you know using <laughs> technology and, and digital things so we're kind of being a bit ironic there but you know in terms of you know we were talking off air about emails and making sure we try and keep on top of things it's almost like we can never really switch off or that's the perception we're constantly distracted we're constantly on the ball if it's not our phone it's a laptop it's a tablet it's a tv it's it's so you know we all are TV programs are streamed into our lives, into our living rooms now without us having to wait for a certain channel to put that program on. How can we achieve mindfulness then in such a challenging environment where we can almost never switch off? I think the first thing actually is that we have to reframe what mindfulness is. I think that a lot of people think about mindfulness and believe that it is about being calm all the time, emptying your mind, being peaceful and that it's it, I feel like it's been watered down to that on social media and in the media but it's so much more than that so I think the first thing is to sort of bust those misconceptions about what mindfulness actually is mindfulness is brain training and it is a practice and it simply means awareness and it's, so we're talking about this modern world where we're hugely distracted we have all of this technology that our cave people brains are not made for um, and so understanding what mindfulness actually is is where it needs to start and so mindfulness means awareness and we are all aware all of the time but the problem is where that awareness is going how we're distracted our thoughts run away with us um, and like I said there's a lot of pressures from this modern world in terms of like digital pressures and not switching mm. things off um, and so we have to start small 
bust the misconceptions, understand that mindfulness isn't just about emptying your mind. Ain't ever going to happen, actually. I rarely say that emptying your mind should be the aim of mindfulness. Mindfulness is about awareness and particularly self-awareness. You start with that, then you start to notice how often you're not turning things off, how switched on you are, how much time you are spending on social media, on your emails, etc., etc. So we have to start small. Find what works for you. And this can just be everyday things that you do more mindfully. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. And I, I love the bit about starting small because I think sometimes that can be overwhelming as well, isn't it? Of thinking going, all oh, right, so yeah, I've you know got to delete all my social media apps. I've got to not answer my emails yeah. at, at home. <laughs> I've got to turn off my... And before you know it, you're getting almost even more stressed by thinking about you've got to have this empty mind. You've got to be calm. You've got to exactly. walk into this serenity, which we know technology out of the out of the equation home life can be as hectic as challenging you know in a non-digital sense so it's it's difficult and I suppose that kind of goes into my next question now obviously the podcast is aimed at you know academy players parents and, and those who work within you know um, academy system in, in in this country academy football can does add even greater you mentioned the word pressure even greater pressures on what is already an extremely busy life for both the players who in generally go in general go to school finish school get in a car go to training do quite high intense activity you know it could be in the gym doing a bit of analysis then some training then finish off with something else then get back in the car go home it's dark it's late they're probably quite physically and mentally tired from the day and then we expect them to get up and go again. Parents, they're on that same journey and they're the ones who've got to transport them and also think of work and maybe answer those emails and all the rest of it. How is mindfulness potentially possible? Well, is it possible for them? And how would you advocate that, you know, a player or a parent listening to this now would be able to start small and start to practice mindfulness? So, thing I just want to say is by the way my godchildren of which I have four two of them have been playing football since they were five um, and one of them is going to be turning 13 soon and the other one's a couple of years younger so um, I've been there and I've seen this and I've you know I've been to some of the games and stuff like that so I, I totally get it um, now when I talk about starting small it really needs to be everyday things you have to think about these consistent habits that you can start to implement you've got a habit because you're going to do this thing that you want to do you're taking the time to go and practice you know playing football and exercising your body in a certain way we need to be able to do that for our mind but we have to number one manage our expectations of ourselves. like we just said don't think that this is going to be you know an overnight success and uh, you've got heavy expectations like if I do this everything's going to be serene calm rainbows uh, unicorns you know that's not what it's about manage the expectations and then start with everyday stuff and I always say think about all the things you do on autopilot every day parents and children all the things we do on autopilot right from when we wake up and grab the phone to making our breakfast to eating our food to walking to everything that we do right through to showers and all the way till bedtime we really need to think about how we can incorporate this so maybe it's a practice before we go to sleep so you can take an extra five minutes before you lay your head down to practice maybe a breathing meditation but also you can practice mindfulness in everyday tasks such as eating such as walking such as brushing your teeth or having a shower you can incorporate those things so you're not taking extra time you're just doing the mm. things that you already do in a more mindful way and it still trains your brain 
you are still training your brain to be consciously aware of what you want it to be consciously aware of. So when you're doing it, when you're eating, it will help you more when you need to manage your emotions, your thoughts, your feelings. So think about it. What things do you do on autopilot? What one thing could you do more mindfully, i.e. be present with, pay attention to, use your senses. What can you see? What can you hear? What can you smell? What can you touch? What can you taste? And then if you can, a few minutes, a breathing meditation, all that takes is some deep breathing, noticing your breathing. That's where it can start. Nice and simple, but consistent. Yeah, that goes really well with the, the simplicity of it, doesn't it, about that stage approach. And I think habit's a key word, isn't it? And yeah. I love the fact, I never even thought about it like with autopilot, but you're guilty. You wake <laughs> up, the first thing you do is grab your phone, don't you? Whether it's to check what time it is, to check what you've got on the day of you or have you got an early morning meeting that you have to get out of bed early for and get showered and change and get out of the house we're probably all guilty of that yeah and, and we do I, it on autopilot without even thinking sorry I was just going to say Lee just uh, you know on top of that yeah. we we spend a lot of our time we're doing all those things on autopilot because our mind is somewhere else and that is the opposite yeah. to mindfulness our mind is thinking about all the things that we didn't do yesterday or we've got to do tomorrow or the worries that we we didn't achieve or the things that we've got to do today that is what mindfulness is. It's about being present and knowing that the only moment that we've got is right now and how can we be very present with that. And again, it comes back to these really basic things. And the more that you can do this, i.e. paying attention to everyday mundane things that you do or sitting for a few minutes in a breathing meditation. By the way, not sitting in silence, cross-legged, uncomfortable or anything like that. Just noticing your breathing <laughs> is what I mean. Um, you know, the more that we can do that, the more we notice when we're not doing it like for me for example I've practiced for years it's over 10 years now I know when I've been on my phone too much I know when I haven't been present with my little boy I know when I haven't been present with my friends I know when I haven't taken some time out for myself because I have really cultivated that self-awareness doesn't mean I'm almost perfect at it but I notice it yeah I think that self-awareness piece is probably the start of that journey and kind of yeah. you're you're a great believer of visualization and, and, and manifestation so you know what you say is very sounds very simple but is it as easy and as simple as that of thinking these things through mm -hmm. kind of visioning it in your head to make it happen or is there a lot more to it and I'm really undervaluing how much hard work it could potentially be to be able to kind of train our brain to be able to get into better habits than what we already are do you know what there's there's a lot of discussion isn't there around this nowadays um and there is science to back up some of this is we know that uh, some of our top athletes olympians will visualize them you know it, i don't know say it's hurdles or something they'll visualize themselves running that race and that can really yeah. help with performance like we do know that's the thing so visualization in itself as in the act of visualizing something going i guess to plan or what you want to happen is a really powerful practice because ultimately your brain doesn't really know if something is actually happening or if you're making it up which we know from uh, situations that could be upsetting or sad or make us angry uh, often we can feel all those things after a situation 
situation or before a situation. So we know how powerful the mind is. But what I would always say is this. I am a great believer in visualization um, and manifestation because, you know, what you focus on is going to grow. But there also does have to be some action. Now, I have had I feel like I've had some quite magical moments in my life that things have just seemed to have happened, you know, in flow or things seem to have worked out. But if I actually think about it, it's because I'm moving the needle in that direction with small actions or I'm putting that out there. I'm putting that message out there and what I want to happen. I am still taking action. So I actually think it's a bit of both. I think visualization is a real powerful brain training exercise. But I also think that you can't ever underestimate the power of action. So a little bit of both is a really amazing combination. You talk about action there and looking over some of your social media streams, your LinkedIn account, you work with some very high profile people, some high performing businesses. And I'm really intrigued and curious as to how us as academies, we can learn from from these high performing people, these businesses, these institutions in terms of establishing a culture, a culture that fosters healthy well-being for all. And I've seen some of your short videos and the, the, some of the businesses that you work with and thinking, wow, so what can we as academies learn from them in terms of a culture and promoting health, uh, you know, healthy well-being? Yeah. So I think the first thing is this, and it's it's what I talk about sort of first in, in most of the work that I do, is that mental health does not mean mental ill health. And it's really, really important regardless if your work is around something physical I mean we are talking about football aren't we we're talking about kind of we're talking about that that's a physical thing we're training we're trying to achieve something but you cannot underestimate the importance of your mental health and well-being and your mindset in contributing to that as well health is health health incorporates all of your health both mental and physical so that's always the first thing I talk about when we do sessions we talk about what do people think of when they think about mental health how important is it um you know and we share stories and things like that and I hope this gets people thinking right now you know what is our culture like in terms of mental health and well-being do we talk about it are we open about it do we know how much that plays into how we're training or what we're doing and then the other things that we then lead on to is actually having a strategy, having an understanding of your expectations of each other. So the people who are running the business and those who are within the business, those who are being supported by the business. What are our expectations? What are our boundaries? How do we communicate with each other? Do we have an open culture of communication? Can we ask for help? What support is available? So there's layers to this. You know, culture can be quite a difficult thing to change. But if you are starting from the beginning, think about why are you doing what you're doing and what would a good culture look like? And for me, usually that is openness, communication and support. You've got this down to a T, haven't you? The simplistic nature of everything, you know, the rule of three there. You can't that's, overcomplicate it. That's, that's very powerful, very powerful, very powerful. And it's it's so true, isn't it, as well? I think the most simplest things are the truest ones and the easiest ones to achieve, aren't they? Yeah, I, I just think that we live in a world where we like to overcomplicate things and a lot is being lost in this overcomplicate. We have to come back to the basics. And I say this when I'm working in organisations. You can have all the most fandabby-dozy um, helplines in the world, but if you're not addressing the basics like what is your culture, how well can you communicate with each other, um, what is your workload like, what things cause people stress, then you, you don't need – all the other stuff is is – 
irrelevant because the proactive preventative care comes in with those basics. And so that's why I do like to keep things simple. I guess that's why I call myself the mindfulness rebel because I'm sort of pushing against some of these things <laughs> that we see so often. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's fantastic. And in, within those businesses that you work with, in some of the high performance individuals who work within those organisations, you know, you, I, I know you've talked about um, and you've covered things around terrible managers. Now, this might be a little bit of a dividing question and uh, apologise in advance for any coaches listening to this. This is not aimed at you, but some players will come into contact with or feel for a, a short or long period of time that they are working with terrible coaches how can they gain because you you kind of reframe that and talk about perspective so how can some of our academy players who maybe listen to this thinking oh i've just moved age group from this age group to the other or from club to club academy to academy some players have gone from academy football to you know signing a professional contract and and gone to a, a professional football club and they're thinking oh this person this coach this manager is the total opposite to what i'm used to and they might be perceiving that they're terrible how do they gain a different perspective on this? Yeah, so I think it's important to say that, you know, ultimately we have to be able to start understanding, you know, from a young age, I work in schools of 9, 10 and 11 year olds, we have to start understanding our triggers, we have to start understanding these reactions that we have, the thoughts that we have about things, where we're sort of making up a reality maybe, and, and we have to question that reality. And I think that, you know, most times in the world, people have, your best interest at heart especially if we're thinking about those that are taking care of us or coaching us they do ultimately have your best interest at heart but everybody works in a different way and so it really comes back to this what are you making up in your mind huge part of mindfulness this is this reality check and actually understanding what you're making up and the perception that you have of something what is the reality are they just different are they making you feel a certain way and then again that comes back to this communication we should be able to talk to each other and I think that that's one of the biggest things that coaches, managers, just human beings need to have is that approachability. We need to be able to talk to each other. Otherwise, how are we ever going to learn? How are we going to get the best out of each other? So that perspective comes down to having a reality check, remembering that most of the time people do have your best interests at heart. Most people are kind in this world. We just perceive things in a different way. And we care about ourselves more than anybody else even if you don't believe that you think you do but you do you you absolutely center everything around yourself and often things aren't about you um but we take it personally we take everything personally so again it comes to that reframing having a reality check and then huge thing is communication we need to be able to talk to each other stop second guessing things stop ruminating over something that might not be real talk about it talk to each other explain how you maybe get the best out of yourself explain how you what I ask them to explain how they think they're going to get the best out of you have a conversation I think we lose the art well probably generalizing way too much here but I do feel that we lose the art of conversation because of technology because of yeah. you know we've been talking about you know that escapism or you know clearing our minds and I think a lot of the time conversation is the first thing to to be lost because we think we can't invest the time. We don't want it to be short, sharp or, you know, the classic one that, you know, happens probably most workplace environments of, you know, people go, oh, you're OK, without actually meaning yeah. it because we're almost scared of somebody going, oh, actually, funny you should ask that. I'm not OK. I'd like to talk about anything. Oh, I haven't really got the time for this. So I think the art of conversation is 
has been lost quite a lot in quite a lot of environments, you know, not just in a, in, in a sporting environment. What, how can we, are there steps that we can take to foster the art of conversation? And, you know, we're having this conversation now kind of remotely or in a different country to me. Is there any way we can make it authentic, natural, real, rather than forced of just like, are you okay? And, and somebody taking it as kind of tokenistic. Yeah, I think that you just have to make the time for things that are important. You know, we we can't rush around all of the time. And if your work, if you if it's your workplace, if it's your family, whatever it is, you have to start prioritizing things. And prioritizing communication and looking after the people that are around you is really important and looking after yourself. So I think that actually and again, it's why I come back to mindfulness so much. It's why I it's what I do now because I do believe that mindfulness is one of the number one things that can help us with that self-awareness to then be able to communicate better you have to understand yourself before you understand others and I hope even you and I Lee meeting through a screen you can still feel the human in someone you can still have a good conversation so it's not necessarily about getting rid of the technology completely but it's about taking the time and understanding why you're having these conversations Um, and I know that's difficult because everybody's on the go but we are in charge of how much we're rushing around we're in charge of what we fill our day with so we need to be able to prioritize and I think that taking the time to have these conversations is important and also understanding why you're having them like are we all working towards something good here whether that's in your household or in your workplace or in your academy like what are we working towards do we want to get the best out of each other okay let's talk about it um and I think like you say as well we shy away from conversations because we're scared of what's going to crop up why are we scared I feel like that's quite a, a modern thing what are we scared of we need to understand each other. We need to know how each other tick. We need to know if someone's struggling because we ultimately want to get the best out of each other. We want to have as good a life as we can have. Um, and that, again, comes back to communication, having the confidence to be able to share those things. But that won't happen like by itself. We need to cultivate that and encourage each other to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, the conversation we're having now, I can tell you're very, extremely passionate <laughs> about mindfulness and you talk about it not being a, a tick box, a one-off exercise. You talked about it being continual. You know, you've mentioned steps, creating habits. So that, you know, if, without giving too much of your secrets away for free, <laughs> in terms of being able to help our listeners continually drive their own habits and have that investment in themselves, explain a little bit more about, you know, maybe some of the follow-up steps of, you know, they've, They've cleared their mind. They've taken control now of you know how they're filling their day, how they're starting their day. They've kind of aware of their autopilot, or they're now taking manual control of the start of the day. How can they continue that process so that they can really start to see the benefit and of mindfulness, and you know, and be as passionate as you are about it? Sure. So, um, by the way, I'll just give everything away. I'm the helping hand. So when people need the help because they can't do these things on their own because of the modern world, then they come to me and I help <laughs> I help guide them through this. So I, sh- I share everything. But if you need an extra helping hand, I'll hold your hand. Um, so mindfulness is a practice. Yeah, it's a mindset. It's an attitude. Uh, we think that mindfulness is a meditation. It's not. It's the way that we interact with the world it's the way that we see the world it's the way that we manage our reactions it's the way that we interact with our thoughts um you know our mind is never going to be empty but we are able to choose our thoughts we're able to choose our actions and so once we start to notice these things our autopilot we start you know doing some things more mindfully in our everyday we started these short meditations you start to notice when you're not noticing 
And so your attitude towards the world changes. You get a bit more curious. You start to want to be present with more things. And then what happens is you are able to sit in different types of meditations. And I would say that sitting in meditation is a huge part of mindfulness. It's not just what mindfulness is all about, but it's a big part of mindfulness. And so being able to sit and meditate is a really powerful practice. But this is the thing. It's ongoing. And it will always take some practice and learning because there's always going to be stuff in life that's going to happen that's going to, you know, knock you for six. It's going to uh, maybe put you off your practice for a little bit and you're going to come back again. There is always going to be something in life. But the more that you can practice, the easier it is to come back to it. And it's really powerful. It's really powerful to be able to notice what's knocked you. It's powerful to be able to notice what's triggered you. It's powerful to be able to have that self-awareness to know what you need and to be able to ask for help. And mindfulness can help with so many things. We've mentioned self-awareness, compassion for yourself and for others. Uh, We know that it can help with focus and productivity. We know that it can help with our mindset. So having a more positive mindset or a growth mindset, that doesn't mean ignoring negative emotions or saying we're positive all the time. Um, But it just helps us to be able to switch those things a bit easier. Um, Managing reactions. And another big one is that acceptance that there's always going to be things in life that we don't want to happen or that we struggle with. And I know you talk about that with the academies and stuff. And so mindfulness is ongoing and you will find what works for you and you will find the meditations that work for you. And you will find that you do want to turn your phone off and you want to be more present with things. But like I say, it's ongoing. It will change. Your practice will change as you go through the years, but it will always be there. Once you know it, once you've practiced it, you can never forget it. And from an outsider looking in and talking directly to to you now, I mean, I know you said that, you know, you've got family members who are involved in, in football. What can, from your perspective, you know, kind of alien in the room, looking through your lens into the, the world of academy football, what do you feel that we can do to improve the, the mental health of its players? Okay. So, this is almost like from the organisational perspective that I think about, you know, when I was in the fire service, um, I was strategically for mental health and well-being. So creating that strategy for the organisation and mm. think about it like this. You need to know why you care about that. That has to be your starting point. Why does that matter? So maybe it matters because we're decent human beings and everybody deserves to have good mental health and well-being. And we know we're a place we could support that. But you're probably going to have a bigger why than that because it's going to be a bit more specific. So maybe the why is because you want to get the best out of your people. Maybe the why is because you want to achieve a certain, you know, whatever accomplishment you want to achieve, whether that's personally or, you know, as an academy. That, for me, is the starting point, which, again, sounds super simple, but we don't think about it. We go and get stuck in with the doing. You need to know your why as an individual and as an organisation or as an academy. Why are you doing what you're doing? And that then feeds into your strategy. You need to be honest about the journey. This is not always going to be easy, especially we're talking about, you know, uh, children and teenagers going through academies and knowing that this journey might not be easy. So preempt the stumbling blocks, preempt those things that could cause stress. People know them. People have been in this industry for a while. You know what the stumbling blocks are, whether that's not getting a position that you wanted Maybe it might be injuring yourself so you can't do what you wanted to do. Whatever it is, you know what those stumbling blocks or stresses might be. And that then feeds into your strategy. So if these are our potential stumbling blocks, how can we mitigate them? Or how do we support someone if they happen? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's it's 
so important that you do understand your wine it's i suppose the next challenge for that is having trying to get a collective wine such a big organization which i'm sure you've worked very hard with with some very high profile organizations and i suppose parents know their why it's their children isn't it that's the purpose of what we do probably every single every other action every single day 365 days a year our wise parents is, is our are our children and our offspring and their upbringing, their experience, their childhood. But then, as parents, we do tend to worry. And I'm not kind of trying to bring in a competitive a competitive element to it, but academy parents probably worry a little bit more for some of the reasons you've just touched upon about whether their son isn't getting game time, he's being played out of position. It may be coming up to the end of year where they are they going to get a. a you know another registration for the following year they're gonna to have to change academy all those different things that are mulling around in, in in parents minds is this something that parents can be doing to reduce that worry or to distract their minds or train their brains as you put it to not worry or to focus on other things so those worries probably will always be there but they're focusing and training their brain to think and view things slightly differently mm-hmm. So one of the big things that I teach when I am teaching mindfulness or if I'm if I'm working in schools or well, even if I'm working one to one with adults is that the way that you feel is valid. You know, it's completely normal to worry about something. Uh, often I think that invalidating that can sort of make it worse because you feel like I shouldn't be feeling like this. I shouldn't be having it. And, and all your energy is going into not having these these thoughts and feelings. And, uh, you know, that's the opposite of mindfulness. That that is really not helpful. So I think the first thing is just validating your experience you know it's okay to be this imperfect human having this experience and all of those thoughts feelings and emotions cropping up I think that's the first thing the other thing is this especially because I've been working with kids a bit more recently which by the way I absolutely love they're gorgeous they're so open to things and so that's what I want to remind people is that you know we are born open-minded we are not born with biases and anxiety and everything else. And we have to try and remember this, like give our kids their dues. They are much more open to these things than adults are, <laughs> which is, I guess, why I like working with them, because I ask them to do a practice and they just go for it. And then they feed back and they're, <laughs> they're open with what they felt. They're not second guessing, you know, am I saying the right thing? Because I always make sure I say to them before we start, no right or wrong answers. I just want to yeah. hear. And we do a, a practice and then they tell me how they felt. And it's it's amazing. We don't, you know, we don't give them their juice. So I think that's the other thing is, you know, give them the juice. They're, they're more resilient than we think. And, you know, they are open to new things. They're, their brain is receptive to this stuff. Um, and the final thing is this, work together. Don't be afraid to show your humanness as a parent. This is something I'm going to really try. And I am trying with my four and a half year old, who, by the way, comes up with a brilliant mindfulness exercises. Quite often he says to me, Mama, I've got a mindfulness breathing and he tells me one and I use it now in organisations because he comes up with some brilliant ones Um, because he's (laughs) practised obviously since he could speak or do anything. I've taught him. Um, So the big thing for me is work together. Um, I guess that's why I created the journals with an adult's guide because we have to show them our human as well. Um, And we can do these things together. It's not a here you go, you know, giving to your child, do this practice and this will make you feel better. This will help you manage with something. You do it as well. Do it together. You both learn, you both go on that journey together, you both hopefully start to communicate better and then you're able to support each other better because you can have what we said right at the beginning, that open, honest conversation. Talk about your feeling, talk about your worries and think of a plan of action as how you're going to support yourself through that. 
yeah it's children are great aren't they because i think as adults i don't know whether it's our own individual upbringing or whether it comes with age or status i'm not too sure but we we do have that fear don't we of, of either saying the wrong thing looking stupid or yeah whereas children just don't have that filter they're just so raw no, so we're primed honest. by so many things in life uh you know as we grow and experiences but i guess that's why i love mindfulness so much because i feel i feel like it's helped me so much with my confidence and my ability to communicate i'm far from perfect my goodness just ask my, my partner <laughs> you know i'm far from perfect <laughs> but i like to think that um you know i own my part if there was an argument i would own it i'm able to apologize i have confidence in you know who i am but it, it's taken it's taken a little while and i guess that's why i love mindfulness so much because it helps with all of those things now although we're coming towards the end of the episode i want to take you kind of a little bit back to the beginning and even further further back when you mentioned there about you being an, an accountant and i'm really interested in that kind of piece for a lot of our academy players they'll go through a lot of um mini uh transitions and 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 minor ones but also some major ones whether that be you know from a phase or from a club to another club some you know lads will come right throughout the academy system and go on to play in another country that might you know football might not be a viable um you know career for them and they have to look at an alternative career now you did something similar haven't you so you you know Mm -hmm. you've come from an accountant background into you know a very successful business and the passion that you had you talked about the story about not being able to sleep and that's what's drove you but I know you made a lot of things sound very easy but I'm sure it wasn't (laughs) easy what 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 challenges did you have to overcome because I, I I'd like you to kind of for you to be kind of raw open and honest and yeah. and share those experiences because I know our players you know especially the the older age groups and those kind of young professionals who are listening to this who are kind of like oh I'm at a new club I'm finding it difficult I don't really fit in I don't know if this is what I want or this is a division I want to be playing in or loads of different reasons and they're struggling with their transition what struggles did you face how did you overcome them yeah so uh, yeah and um surely you've seen all of, of my stuff i never sugarcoat anything i'm never shy you know about telling my truth um or being honest about things it was hard it was really hard and actually you know the catalyst was a, a difficult one because the reason I did leave work was because I was signed off because I reached burnout um and when I had I guess that time to reflect on things I was asked if I wanted to go back and I I didn't want to but the reason that that happened wasn't you know a particularly good one it's not like I was I mean I was doing a side hustle because I started teaching mindfulness to mums but it wasn't like that was going so well and everything was sunshine Mm. and rainbows and I thought oh this is this is great I'm gonna you know stop doing this and go and do this that is not how it went I I reached burnout because I was doing too much and you know we'd been through COVID and I had postnatal anxiety anxiety etc etc so it wasn't even from a really positive place that I made the change my goodness I'm so glad I did but um Mm. the transition was difficult because I had reached burnout and there was a lot going on in my life um and you know I did think to myself I've invested a lot in my almost 20 year accountancy career I'd been through all of my studying all of my exams I'd qualified, I'd built this career. And I knew that if I stayed on that trajectory, I was already part of the leadership team in the fire service. You know, ultimately I could have a corporate career that would pay a lot of money. Um, And I was literally going to walk away from it, literally walk away, not have those accountancy credentials after my name and everything else. But I had to go with my gut and that's what I did. And I guess that ultimately 
your perspective is really what matters the way that you think about the thing that's happening so it felt difficult but I knew that I was on the right path I was going in the right direction and it was slow and it was painful and I've had times where I've worried about paying my bills and I've had times yeah. where I've been really stressed out and I have to do everything myself I'm a solo business owner still so I have to do every single thing as you know emails communicating setting things up yeah. travel every single thing prepping things for sessions any of studying that I'm doing I'm studying again at the moment for my children and young people's mental health um certificate so it's been really hard work but ultimately I just knew that I was moving in the right direction um and one of the big things I think that I've managed is my expectations on myself I think often we can have expectations of the world and expectations on ourselves, and we just have to let them go sometimes because things don't often actually go to plan so the more flexible that we can be and the more that we can let go of those expectations uh, the easier it becomes to manage because we haven't got our hearts set on something. Um, and, you know, if I think about it, there were difficult times when I, was, when I was an accountant. There's difficult times now that I'm a mindfulness teacher and a mental health speaker. But I love doing this more. So there's always going to be difficult times. But you just have to keep going into the direction that you want to move into. Um, and if it doesn't feel right, then, you know, find people that are going to support you into having those conversations and finding what's right for you. Um, there's always going to be something in life. So we have to get comfortable with that, let go of the expectations and make sure we can ask for help. Now, from what you're doing today uh, and what you've done previously, accountancy, I would say, and you can correct me here if I'm <laughs> totally wrong, a complete opposites. So where does that, I mean, to say about, you know, it's not to devalue the transition that some of the academy players were going through, but they're changing club they're changing age group changing coach at worst they're having to think about an alternative career and the majority will stay involved either within football within sport or use transferable skills but from an accountant to you know a mindfulness coach and somebody who's very powerful very powerful very passionate about what you do those are two complete opposites was there never a point at, along that journey where you questioned yourself where you thought what am I doing I can't do this or you know you mentioned about struggling to pay bills that's the realism is it we all have yeah, dreams yeah. we all have ambitions we all have aspirations going oh yeah I'm going to do this but then when reality hits it's like oh I've not got enough to put petrol in the car I've not got enough yeah. to pay my mortgage I've not got enough to pay my phone bill was there times when you really seriously questioned and thought about going back and and what stopped you from from doing that and really still gave you your purpose your why to carry on through that path to to be where you are now yeah absolutely everything you've said there is completely true there were those moments end of uh towards the end of last year I started looking for jobs because I wasn't sure how sustainable some of this stuff was um you, you know you're building your credibility because I'm in a completely new field like you say yeah. um I've done years of training I've as I say my mindfulness practice actually which is the main core of what I do I have been doing for years I have been teaching for a long time um and I have real confidence in that but but doing that as your main business as your bread and butter income is a different mm. type of pressure um so I've been through it all at massive ups and downs and I've been really stressed out sometimes but ultimately I know that when I am delivering that stuff that I'm delivering 
it feels right. I enjoy it much more than I enjoyed the accountancy. I feel like, and I'm hoping this has come across today, it really is my passion. Um, I never second guess what I'm sharing because I wholeheartedly live it. And so I think that ultimately we can do difficult things and we can, you know, go through change in a way that supports ourselves. We can manage it, but it doesn't mean that it's always easy. And I think that that's a realisation we have to have. Sometimes it's going to be hard, but if you are doing the thing you want to do and you know you're on the right path, just keep going. Because I could have got could have gone and got, got a job at the end of last year and then all those things you've talked about that's happened this year, which has been my most mm. amazing year so far, wouldn't have happened, would they? And, and it's been incredible, incredible. So there was a point where I was struggling, but I'm really glad that I kept going because now I know that this is right and this is what I should be doing. That's great. And... I can assure you, your passion is more okay. than coming through. <laughs> so, yeah, it it is. I mean, it might be only via screen and via audio, but it is certainly coming through. And and that really kind of leaves us to the the very last question. And the, the last question we like to do on the on the podcast is give you full total control of that. So, what is your lasting message you would like to leave our listeners with to remember your episode by? Okay, so it's this, it's slightly, I'm going to be cheeky and do a little little two-parter. <laughs> so the first Bye. thing is, is, is this, um, mental health is not woo-woo, it's not soft, it's not a nice to have. Mental health is something we all have all of the time and we really need to think about how we're incorporating this into everything that we do. We know that we need more support, we know that we need to look out for ourselves and each other. So that's just my one lasting message is that mental health is important. It's not for just one type of person to worry about. It doesn't mean ill health. It's the way that we look after our health in relation to our mind all of the time. So just that little side note. Um, But my main thing is this and it's something that I've been um, saying a bit more recently because I always struggle to summarise is what I do um, but I think I've sort of found it and so this is what I say my little tagline I suppose or my summary is be curious be playful and be you because I think curiosity is one of the most powerful things that we can have it's active yeah being curious is an active thing it's the way that we approach things instead of being clinical instead of trying to be you know um really forceful with what is going on what is the reality just be curious it's a gentler way of approaching things be curious about what's going on be curious about a change be curious about your reactions it really helps us like if we're trying to if I think about uh, some of the work that I've done around neurodiversity and that inclusion piece, be curious about what other people are going through. Ask questions, talk to each other. Curiosity is a beautiful skill to have. Um, the next thing is be playful. I think that especially in you know the realms of mental health and well-being, it can all be very serious and you know when we've got pressures on ourselves to achieve something or do something, we can often forget the joy in life and all of the good things and practicing that gratitude so playfulness again it's an active thing be playful don't take things so seriously try to have fun with it even through the tough times like where can you find a bit of joy where can you find the playfulness um and then the last thing is be you it's been a journey for me to find that self-confidence but ultimately there is only one you and you are amazing but you just need to be able to be more in touch with yourself in tune with yourself understand why you're doing what you're doing and embrace those qualities that make you you because the world needs more of you and that i'd have to say in 
I can't even total up how many episodes I've done so far. That's probably going to be the best ending of an episode in terms of you've <laughs> been so open, so honest, so passionate, so simple. The the small steps starting with the small things first, and yeah, you can tell why you're successful. You can tell. You know, your, your passion is, is equal and is on par with, you know, the, the impact on, I know you're having by looking at, you know, your, your website and some of your social media streams from individuals you're working with, organisation, businesses, high performance people, schools, the lot. So, yeah, it's, um, you know, in terms of your transition from being an accountant to where you are now, yeah, never look back and you've obviously made the right move. And in terms of on behalf of myself and, and our listeners, I just want to thank you for your time because you are abroad, you are trying to enjoy and you to switch off and all the rest of it. And we've interrupted that for 60 <laughs> minutes. I very, very, very greatly appreciate the time that you've given us and that you've given our listeners and everything you've given us over the last 60 minutes. So thank you very much, Amy. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for your kind words. And, uh, you know, anything I can do to help, I just I just want this to be out in the world and for people to to feel well and do good. So thank you so much. And that brings us to an end of another episode of the podcast. As always, three points to finish on. Mental health does not mean mental illness. We all have a level of mental health. Some days good, some days bad. Let's not get in the habit of terming it as an illness and make it more negative than it already is. Start to understand your triggers. What sets you off? What makes a good day a good day, a bad day a bad day? And what's the difference in between? And finally, it has to include some kind of action. It isn't going to look after itself. It isn't going to improve without some positive steps towards your own mental health and well-being. And there you have it. You can find out more about this week's guest on their website and check out their social media platforms for more of what was discussed in this episode. All of which you can find in the bio of this episode. Reach out and continue the conversation towards taking ownership of your own personal development and unlocking your potential on and off the pitch. If you haven't already, make sure you hit the follow button on our podcast, as well as follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as connect with us via LinkedIn to provide us with your feedback on this episode and suggest ones for the future as well. Be sure to share this episode with your teammates, friends, parents, coaches, and anyone else you feel will benefit from this. Until next time, when we bring you more interviews from the locker.